This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. We have a review of Celebrity Silhouette today from Scott and Kristen about their transatlantic voyage, exploring the ship from top to bottom. Also, staff writer Richard Sims is here with Cruise News. Hello, Richard. Hey, Doug Parker. So we kick things off with some bad news for one river cruise line. Yeah, I don't know why I'm so sad about this story, but I am. The American Queen Voyages um, uh, cruise line that did a lot of river cruises had formerly been the American Steamboat Company. Um, They had seven ships and they've gone out of business on Tuesday Word started spreading that effective immediately, all sailings were canceled. This, you know, it can't really be considered a complete surprise, given that over the past few months they'd canceled some sailings due to ships needing maintenance. But it was still likely a shock to employees and booked guests, most of whom got the news via an email that was sent out that day. Based on what was said in some of the staff communications, it seems clear that after being really hard hit by the shutdown, as were you know all the, of the cruise industry, um, they tried but failed to secure funding that would you know be able to keep them going. But I kind of think the reason this hits so hard is, and I I know you feel the same way. Those of us who work in or love this industry, the the, the whole everything about cruising. We kind of hoped that we were done with having to report on the impact of the pandemic, but that hasn't been the case. And, you know, here we go. We're losing this this line. Hopefully this is the last time we have to do this type of story and that, you know, this was the last blow of the shutdown. Yeah, certainly. Well, an Australia woman found out the hard way why it's And an Australian woman found out the hard way why it's important to read the cruise contract. I was actually caught off guard by this story a little bit. So Haley Farrington was at the cruise terminal and her and her mom were ready to board the Carnival Luminosa for a three-day sailing when questions arose about her pregnancy. It turned out that she was 26 weeks along. And the cruise line policy says women who have passed the 24th week aren't actually allowed to set sail. The the reason, obviously, is that cruise ships don't necessarily have the medical facilities which would, you know, be required if a woman went into premature labor. They don't have, you know, the, the facilities to birth that child, to do prenatal care, that kind of thing. So that's why they put this rule in place. The typical pregnancy, as anyone who's ever watched television knows, is 40 weeks. Anything before 37 weeks is considered premature. But 20 and 26 weeks, which is where she was, would be really unusually premature. But it is a risk. And, and, you know, the cruise line has sort of set out their boundaries as this is the risk. This is where the risk becomes unacceptable to us. And we don't think it's a good idea for you to cruise. It's not safe for the mother or the child. Barrington, the the woman who was cruising, thought that she was in the clear because her OBGYN had said, you're fine, go ahead, sail. But unfortunately, it's the cruise line that has the final say in that kind of thing, not your actual doctor. So 
because this wasn't the cruise line's fault, you know, they didn't check what the policy was on, with regards to this. Farrington was told they wouldn't be getting a refund. So the two lessons here, which, you know, we preach from the cruise pulpit every week, know what's in the cruise contract and have travel insurance. It sounds like in this case, um, it didn't specifically get into really get into whether they had insurance or not. But based on the fact that um, they were very upset about the money loss, it does sound as if they did not have insurance. So, you know, those cruise contracts contain a lot of information and we all click on them without reading them. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I can't say that I've ever fully read a cruise contract unless I was reading it to write a story or to do some research. Um, but, you know, pretty much every detail you can think of is in there, including when you cannot sail. So, you know, it's worth reading, especially if you have a medical condition of some sort. And, you know, pregnancy is not <laughs> you don't like to think of a pregnancy as a medical condition, but it is um, anything like that. You want to make sure that there is not going to be anything standing in your way when you're terminal and you will be able to board. A couple of things to unpack here. Um one of them is it's interesting that the the woman said that this is pregnancy discrimination, but yeah, I I noticed that too, and I, I mean that's a really what what the British would call a sticky wick. You know, I I think you would have a hard time making that argument. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that someone said was, you know, you can fly at twenty six weeks. Why can't you get on a cruise ship? And of course. You know, one of the differences is if you are flying somewhere and something happens, they can land the plane, you know, right. um, whereas if you're in the middle of the ocean, there's not a whole lot they can do. So so but yeah, I, I that that stuck out to me as well. And I didn't quite know how I felt about that charge. <laughs> you know, it's easy to see why the cruise line makes that rule. Yeah. And speaking of babies, or at least children, Celebrity has made a decision that might ruffle some feathers. I've always said that I love children to knock on my door, say trick-or-treat, and then go away. But when I'm on a cruise, the fewer of them I see, the better. It's one of the reasons I really love adults areas only on the ship. I'll pay extra to have access to, like, the Vibe Beach Club on Norwegian, for example. But on Celebrity, they've actually got the solarium, which is not only adults only, but it's also free for everyone to use. But they're making a change. They're tweaking it a little bit. And my first reaction was kind of go, oh, but the more I learned and the more I you know, I kind of read about it, the more the less irksome it seems. So here's the breakdown. They're going to allow kids who are under the age of 16 into the solarium, but really only on certain sailings mostly to um, cold weather environments where you wouldn't be able to hang out by the main pool. You know, the solarium on Royal ships is a covered space. So it's a nice heated, warm area. And, you know, if you're taking your kids on an Alaskan cruise and they want to go swimming, they're probably not going to want to go in the main pool. They're going to, so they are allowing them into the solarium. But the other thing that's important is that it's only for limited hours. It's from, as of right now, it seems to be from 5 to 7 p.m., which also kind of makes sense because by that point, most adults have probably like hung out by the pool. They've done their thing, you know, they've done their day drinking by the pool. And they're now off ready to get ready for dinner or shows or more drinks, wherever they're going to have those. So, you know, when you take those two things into consideration, that it's on limited itineraries and it's limited hours, that makes it, you know, a lot more understandable. I will say this. It's worth keeping an eye on how this develops because 
the real mistake, I think, would be extending this to all ships, to all itineraries, uh, you know, letting the kids go in whenever they want. And, because suddenly you're losing this adults-only space if you expand on that. And, you know, I think celebrities in an interesting position because celebrity is not necessarily the most kid-friendly cruise line. I'm not saying they're kid-unfriendly, but they don't have, like, you know, rock climbing walls and racetracks and stuff like that. So they tend to attract a more adult crowd. There are always going to be children on the cruises unless they, you know, do what Virgin did and go to an all-adult ship, which they're not planning to do. So keeping that in mind, this seems like a way to sort of balance both sides when it comes to families with kids who are on a celebrity ship. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, but does it kill the premium vibe, though? You know... I mean, it's not like you're paying extra for the solarium. Remember, the solarium is free. Right, of course. If they were saying this about the Vibe Beach Club, that would be a completely different thing to me. You know, that would be like, nope, I'm not paying extra money to hang out in a space where you're letting kids in. But this is not something you're paying extra for. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes the difference. Gotcha. And AI is everywhere. The technology is now being used on Royal Caribbean ships. Okay, so the good news is this isn't a situation where you need to be using an app on your phone. Um, you know, it's getting harder and harder to disconnect when you go on a cruise because or, – or to Disney for that matter because everybody needs you on your phone making reservations all the time, whatever. Um, but here, you're a passenger. You don't have to do anything because the company, in this case Royal Caribbean, is using AI to help it massively cut down on food waste. So they're actually using this technology in a way that – will not impact passengers as far as what they have to do, but it could have a big impact on not only the industry, um, but how it's, you know, sort of footprint in the world moves forward. They're basically taking all of the historical gather, they uh, excuse me, all the historical information they've gathered over the years about how passengers consume food and using it to plot out what they should order, how much, where to serve it, I mean, think about it. They've got all this information at their disposal. Where is the ship heading? How many sea days? You know, because people are going to eat less on sea days than, I mean, they're going to eat more on sea days than they are on days when the ship is in port. They've got the demographics. They know, you know, how many people of each age group are going to be on. They can look at it really on a granular level and figure it out ship by ship. Like we know that on this particular trip, we're we're we've got a, a full ship charter and it's going to be all people over the age of, age of 60. Well, their food needs are probably going to be different than would be, you know, a, a cruise that was not chartered out. So they can take all this information and use that to figure out what to order. One of the interesting things that people may not know is that like when you go to the buffet and you see all that food sitting there. Once the food has hit the buffet, it cannot be reused. That's just the health rules. So basically, anything that isn't consumed has to be gotten rid of. This is a great way to say, okay, instead of putting out, you know, 500 hot dogs on Tuesday, we're going to put out 300 because we know that that's what is going to probably be consumed. Their goal is to cut their food waste back by 50%. By the year 2025. And that's a big goal in a relatively short time. But they're already seeing, you know, the 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 um, the report uh, was done by CBS News. They went on Icon of the Seas to talk to 
the food manager on that ship. And they're already using this technology and seeing really big changes as far as how much they are able to save. And of course, it's not only that it's good for, you know, the planet not to waste all this food. It's also very good for the bottom line because they're not wasting money on food that is going to be disposed of. So it's it's kind of cool. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of AI, but if you can use it in a way like this, it's very cool. Yeah, certainly. And we have not one, but two man overboard stories involving MSC cruises for the month of February. That's right. And the first one is a little bit odd. Actually, they're both going to be a little bit odd. But the first one happened while the ship was docked, which is kind of unusual. Usually when we hear man overboard stories, it's, you know, somebody through whatever means went overboard in the middle of the ocean. But this was actually um, while the ship was docked in uh, Valletta, Malta. It was a 72-year-old man from America who went overboard on the MSC Europa while it was docked there. It's unclear how he wound up going overboard, but they were able to rescue him, and they brought him ashore. Unfortunately, he when he went to the hospital, he did later pass away. Um, so... That one had a tragic ending. The second story we're talking about has a less tragic ending, but is also a little bit unusual as it involves somebody jumping overboard and then getting arrested. But they weren't arrested for jumping off the ship. Instead, they were arrested for violating Japan's Immigration Control Act. Um, because basically they jumped overboard and then they swam ashore. And so they were arrested basically for viol- for being an illegal immigrant in Japan. Uh, it's it, This was off of the MSC Bell- Bellissima. And it's unclear whether the person who jumped was a passenger or a guest. But either way, you know, when you're jumping off a ship, things can go very bad. And he's very lucky that the only thing that happened was that he got arrested. And finally, we've got an update on that brawl that took place back, uh, what was it, in October on Carnival Magic. It looks like some things have come to light here. Yeah, so people will probably remember this story because it involved, it took place in the theater on the Carnival Magic, and there was a show going on, and one passenger, Michael Truman, was apparently being, or, you know, reportedly being disruptive. And somebody asked him several times, you know, hey, can you just calm down, quiet down, you know. Um, uh, Truman says that he accused of, quote, uh, clapping too hard, but it sounds like it was a lot more than that. Anyway, uh, Truman got upset with the guy who was trying to get him to quiet down and took a highball glass, and we know it was a highball glass because it was entered into evidence. Pictures of the shattered highball glass were part of the affidavit, Uh, and he took this and he basically smashed it in the guy's face, and then it turned into a fight, and there was a bit of a brawl. Uh, eventually Truman was arrested when they arrived. I believe it was in Norfolk. Well, we now know, flash forward, you know, because unlike on on Law & Order, things take a little bit of time. So flash forward to February, and on the 15th, he pled guilty to assault with a dangerous weapon, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Virginia. Um, So that means there won't be a trial because he pled guilty, but he will be sentenced sometime in August. So, um, you know, later this year, we'll find out what exactly one is sentenced for when one decides to smash a cocktail glass into the face of a fellow passenger. I will say this. No matter what he winds up, what his sentence winds up being, it definitely is not worth it. You know, just 
have common decency when you're sitting in the theater and shut up. Up to 10 years, they're saying, which will never happen, but still. Can you imagine? I mean, I I have to imagine that his wife is the one who's really upset because, you know, she, he ruined their whole cruise and now could be going to jail for because he couldn't keep his mouth dipped in a theater. I assure you that if that happened in my household, people would be very unhappy with me. <laughs> Not that it would be me who did it, but, you know. I, I do tend to get loud sometimes. I hear you. Any cruises coming up? No, not until October. Um, ah. No, I'm, I'm in the midst of trying to plan a Disney uh, trip, which, by the way, I've not been done an actual Disney trip in, you know, years. And it is ridiculously expensive. Um, you could go to Paris for two weeks for what it's going to cost us to go for like five days to Disney. But you know, that seat cruising is a good value. The last time you were at Disney, remember I picked you up from that, uh, the cabins, Wilderness Lodge, I think. And we went to that place at Disney Springs. It was a Latin restaurant, Latin fusion. And we had like all those $21 tequila shots. That was, that was quite the night. You, you were enjoying <laughs> your tequila. <laughs> You'll have to let me know when you get those dates penciled in minus the $21 tequila shots. Uh, that sounds like a definite plan. <laughs> all right. Staff writer Richard Sims, as always, thank you. Talk to you later. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. Scott and Kristen took a 13-night transatlantic cruise, a westbound from Miami to Southampton, the port for London. They join us on the line right now. Hey, Scott. Hey, Kristen. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk to both of you at the same time. It's very cool for me. Let's get some pre-cruise thoughts before we get to the celebrity silhouette itself. You guys are based around in the St. Louis area, and this ship, of course, left out of Miami, Florida. What made you want to jump on this ship and take it for 13 nights across the ditch? We actually had a Bermuda cruise scheduled on Celebrity Summit in June of 2022 that, for various reasons, we ended up canceling. And so this cruise is what we decided to rebook instead. We've never done a transatlantic cruise, and all of the port stops on this itinerary were going to be new for us. So this was our fourth celebrity cruise. We'd previously sailed Knox, which is uh, one of Silhouette's sister ships, Constellation and Apex. Yeah, that's why we that's why we decided to go with Silhouette and the transatlantic. So we we did a pre-cruise night in Miami before the cruise. And we stayed at the Hampton Inn and Suites in the Brickell area. We've stayed at various places in Miami before, pre-cruise. First time in Brickell, and we really liked it. I think that's going to be our new favorite area to stay in anytime we have a future Miami cruise. I'm just curious because y'all are most of the time sailing out of 
Fort Lauderdale when you sail. Did y'all fly into Fort Lauderdale and Uber it down or did you go right into Miami? In this case, we actually flew directly into Miami. What we've discovered is when Southwest added Miami itineraries from back and forth from St. Louis, that has changed the flight times in and out of Fort Lauderdale. And they're usually either super early in the morning or super late at night. So we're finding it's not quite as ideal to fly directly into Fort Lauderdale, which is unfortunate because we actually, of course, enjoy the Fort Lauderdale airport experience much more than the Miami airport experience. True. So you make your way to the cruise terminal for embarkation. How was it and how long did it take you to get from the curb to the cruise ship? We had an 11 to an 1130 embarkation group assignment. But we, in the morning, we had received a text notification from Celebrity suggesting that we should delay our arrival about an hour. And they weren't really clear about why. We had to check out of the hotel anyway, so we just decided to go ahead and, and arrive at, at Terminal G about 11, 11.15, and we were checked in by 11.30, no problem, but then where the delay came is apparently they were having issues aligning the gangways, and so even though we were checked in by 11.30, about 12.15, not terrible, but... Mm. Not as quickly as other embarkations have gone. Yeah. Okay. So you make your way on board Celebrity Silhouette. I know you've been on other Celebrity Solstice class ships before over the years. So what were your impressions of this ship? Silhouette, first glance when we got on board, looked very familiar. But since the ship had been revolutionized and back in February 2020, we knew there were going to be some new venues. The I believe it was Craft Social Bar and Passport Bar were a couple of things added. But for the most part, it was what we had remembered. Once we got on board, one of the things that was pretty obvious pretty quickly is that there weren't a lot of people on board. Capacity on that ship's 2,800 or so. And we eventually found out that there were only 1,500 folks on our sailing and 1,200 crew. So it was pretty, pretty light compared to what we'd seen before. So a lot of space, a lot of free space, a lot of uh, attention from the crew. It was a really good experience. Everything looked very clean. Celebrity in our experience has done as good a job as any, if not much better than other cruise lines in terms of making sure that their older ships stay current and stay fresh. Compared to some of the other lines we've been on, you get on the old, you can tell it's, it's not bad, but it's not quite the latest and greatest. But with the celebrity ships, it's often hard to tell really how old the ship is from when you first get on. So that was always a great experience to get on and see that. Uh, a few other things we noticed that the uh, casino on board is non-smoking all the time. We we found that out right away. Go to the casino maybe once or twice. Usually we avoid it when it's full of cigarette smoke, but this was a pleasant change of pace. Let me jump in real quick and ask a question. I, I remember trees or plants hanging by the elevator. Does celebrities still have that on those ships? They do have – there's a large tree that is in that big open space yeah. that you can see from the library and some of those little lounges they have in that open area by the elevators. So that's still there. For the most part, it's I don't think there's really too many differences other than a couple of the venues and what programming and things they have up on the lawn. That's the other area that's quite a little bit different on each of them. But otherwise, they're very similar. I'm not imagining this. The tree is like suspended there, right? It's there's a small like little piece that it sits on okay. and then those are connected I think to the walls so it's like a little floating island. Okay, yeah. Oh, I yeah. don't think it's hanging, okay. but I think there might be some supports that hold it. I mean, I've had too much of that martini bar right there by the tree and I probably thought it was floating by the time I left there, so <laughs> that's probably why I thought that. So you make your way to your stateroom. <laughs> what kind of stateroom did you have for this transatlantic voyage and what did y'all think over the 13 nights? 
We booked an obstructed view veranda, trying to keep the cost down a little bit. With the thing with obstructed views, we always look to see how obstructed the view really was. And in this case, you could see lifeboats out there, but we had a great view of the horizon, so it didn't feel enclosed or anything. We were in cabin 6243. It was a great location. We were on the X6 right by the stairs, so we're quick to get to the stairs and then jump up to go to the venues up on the pool deck or the buffet or drop down to the the main lobby and and do things down there. So it was a really good location for us. Uh, As far as for a 13-day cruise, it worked out well. It's a decent-sized cabin. We had a larger balcony than we would have in some other cabins, and that we wound up using quite a bit over the cruise. Even on the days when we were at sea out in the middle of the Atlantic, we had a little bit of an overhang and a section to the side that actually blocked quite a bit of the wind. So it made it not uncomfortable to sit out there, even though the seas might were a little rough and it was a little windy out there, but we still made good use of that. And the features of the cabin were, were great. Bed's very comfortable, a lot of space, a fair amount of storage, never as much storage as we'd like, but it was adequate. Once you put the suitcases under the bed, put everything away, we managed pretty well. Where your cabin was located on deck six there, did you have any noise outside of the cabins from left to right or top or bottom? I don't recall any. Kristen might remember something different, but no, I don't remember any issues with any kind of noise. I don't recall either, although I sleep with the Bose sleep buds in, so I tend to not be a great judge of whether there's a lot of noise <laughs> during the night, but but I don't remember anything in particular. Okay. Very good. So let's talk about the dining on this cruise. We'll start at the top of their buffet area, which is called the Ocean View Cafe, I believe. So how was your experience up there on your voyage? It was good. We ate we ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner there multiple times. We found the buffet to have a nice variety and they rotated they rotated the offerings pretty well. It wasn't quite as extensive or as elaborate a buffet as, say, what we saw on the new Celebrity Apex, being their newest Edge Class series, but it was very good. We we didn't uh, lack for finding new and interesting things to, to try, and it was not, again, with the capacity, like Scott said, being at about half, it even on the times that would traditionally be rather congested in the buffet, particularly on sea days or early morning before port days, it didn't get it didn't get overly crowded. Before we jump into other dining options around the ship, did you guys purchase any pre-packaged or pre-cruise dining packages? We did not purchase a dining package and we didn't get any dining perks with our booking, but we did pre-book a few of the specialty restaurants because they were offering discounts if you book them pre-cruise. Gotcha. So I will talk about a few of the specialty dining uh, venues that we did. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the main dining room. What time dining did you have and how was your experience? So we always go for the, and I always forget which what uh, celebrity calls it, anytime, your time, whatever. Anyway, the non-preset dining times. We always do that. We did dinner in the main dining room about five times, and we had very nice experiences. We, we, didn't, we didn't always have the same staff, but I think for at least maybe three of the five, we ended up being in the same general area and therefore had the same waiter and assistant waiter just by that fact. We always had the the times we ate in the dining room, we always found starters and entrees and desserts that were of, uh, of interest to us. I don't recall us having any particularly bad items in the dining room. I think we find, found everything uh, to be good or excellent, and our service was, was pretty good. So we had no, no complaints about the main dining room. 
outside of the main dining room. You said you booked some specialty restaurants. Tell us what restaurants you booked and how was your experience dining at those venues? The first one we did was Tuscan Grill. And we had an we took advantage of a first night discount that we could book pre-cruise. So we were able to get Tuscan Grill for $36 per person. We had only done Tuscan Grill one time before, and that was on our 2011 Equinox cruise. And we, quite frankly, had a rather disappointing experience. But we decided it's probably time to give Tuscan Grill a second chance. And we're very glad that we did. We had an excellent meal. The food was excellent and we had excellent service. So we were very happy that we decided to try Tuscan Grill again. Then we tried The Porch. Now, this is a seafood specialty dining restaurant and it's located adjacent to the Long Club. This is a restaurant that is exclusive to this ship and to Reflection. We love seafood, and knowing that this venue is only on a couple of celebrity ships, it was definitely a priority for us to give it a try. This one had a $30 per person cover charge, and again, we had an excellent meal, wonderfully fresh seafood. We we ended up doing the Seafood Tower, which they did give charge an extra $15 for, but we had jumbo prawns, lots of jumbo prawns, chilled lobster tails, scallops, seafood salad, so it was delicious. And we did that meal early in the cruise. And that was important to do because of the fact that this is an outdoor venue. There is, it is covered, has a covering, but you do have open air exposure. And so on a cruise like this, where it starts out warm and it turns cool as you get into the ocean, it's it's definitely a more comfortable dining experience to front load doing a, a meal at porch than to wait later in the cruise. Let me jump in here, Kristen, because I also share a love of seafood with Scott and yourself. So what kind of seafood options were on that tower you got? Like, was it the shrimp, the what lobster claws? Was the seafood, the Chilean sea bass, the cruise lines like to throw at you? So, for example, for our starters, I had the jumbo prawn cocktail and Scott had the Asian chicken wings. For the raw course, I chose the citrus red snapper ceviche and Scott had a steak tartare. So, again, even though it's it's a seafood restaurant, there are, as you can tell, some other non-seafood items on the menu mm-hmm. for those that, that might like that. We had the lobster bisque. We both had that, which was delicious. As far as the entrees, I don't know. Scott, do you remember any of the other options? I don't have a menu up right in front of me. I can't remember off the top of my head. I was just trying to see if I could find the menu. But lobster roll, grilled branzino, there's a burger, Cornish hen and mussels are what I'm seeing on the menu I'm looking at here. Since we knew we were going to do the seafood tower, we really didn't pay too much attention to that side of the menu. The seafood tower that we had came with uh, jumbo prawns, chilled lobster tails, scallops, and a seafood salad. So then after the seafood restaurant, where did y'all go? Then we did, we did have a dinner in Murano. And again, this was our first time to repeat Murano since we originally tried it on the Equinox in 2011. And this was a lovely meal with very attentive service. Um, We had things like for starters we had a goat cheese souffle i went again with the lobster bisque soup scott had a nice tomato mozzarella salad of course you have to do the lobster at least we think so when you're in murano so that was our entree and then a grand marnier souffle for dessert so a lovely decadent meal in murano we enjoyed murano the first time and we enjoyed it again this time i see here you also did the chef's table we we did do the chef's table 
And we've done a chef's table one time before when we sailed on print on a princess cruise many years ago, but we'd never done celebrities version. And once again, got a pre-cruise offer to book for a discounted price. So our price was $130 per person plus gratuities. The chef's table had four other couples that were a part of it. And the evening started at the world-class bar. We had the champagne and a little mousse-bouche. And then we all moved to the, I call it, I, I don't know if it has a name, but I call it the private wine room that's in the Murano restaurant. There was a law, a, a large table there. We were segregated off amongst the, the wine. And of course, the executive chef came out and he introduced each of our courses. We ended up having five courses. We had a cauliflower soup. We had a mushroom risotto, a sea bass. We had a beef filet and short rib duo, and then we had a, it was called Java for dessert. So it was a, a chocolate spice ice cream and a coffee kind of mousse creme on the side. It was a very nice meal, obviously extremely filling as all chef's tables are. And then we each got a souvenir menu, and then each couple received a, a copy of Daniel Belude's cookbook, that Daniel Belude being the um, this celebrity chef that has affiliated with with celebrity on menu items and in the newer ships, his own specialty restaurant. And that cookbook's no joke. I think it weighs 20 pounds and I think it has a price tag of at least $50. So <laughs> it wow. was quite something to receive as part of the experience. But Chef's Table was an excellent meal. Not something we do very often, but it's certainly a wonderful, special experience to do every now and then. And then our last specialty dining, it was lunch on the last sea day. We went to Sushi on Five. And the sushi that we had was super high quality and delicious. So that was a wonderful way to cap off the, the, last, the last day of the cruise in terms of specialty dining. The last solstice ship I was on, gosh, I'm trying to remember which one it was. But um, they took the old cuisine space and they made it into that. Uh, it's the, the characters that run around on your table and flipping meatballs with uh, Table art, table mapping. Uh, do they do they have that on that ship? I know I'm doing a horrible job explaining this. Le Petit Chef is the name of it. Yes, and they did have that. We had just done that on um, Apex. Okay. And even though it might be uh, a different menu, I think they do vary the menus across the classes of ships that have Le Petit Chef. Um, since we just recently done that, we opted not to do that for, for this time. Um, like I said, we had done that on the Apex cruise. And that, that was a nice, uh, fun, fun experience to do as well. Again, not something I do very often, but I, I consider doing it again with a different menu on a different ship at some point in the future. Now, how was the entertainment on this 13-night sailing? The entertainment was pretty good. Since you have almost two weeks on board, there's quite a bit of stuff they have programming going on in the evening to keep people occupied, and we took advantage of a fair amount of it. There was a the usual welcome aboard variety show that we went to. There was an acapella group from America's Got Talent called Edge Effect. We weren't familiar with them before, but they were performing. There was a UK entertainer named Jane Curry who was on board. Excellent singer and very funny. And so she had several shows throughout the week, some daytime things, some evening things. And she was definitely a not to miss if she shows up on a cruise in the future. She was a lot of fun. We had a comedian on board who was okay. I wasn't super impressed, but it was something to do. Uh, there were some various solo. There was an acoustic duo and a solo guitarist that we saw in a few of the bars. And uh, we had a magician that did one or two shows. We caught his late night show one night. 
And then a handful of their production shows. There was Euphoria, Life, and I believe there may have been another one or two that we didn't go to. But all in all, it was pretty good. It, um, the whole sense with the cruise, it was a very chill two weeks. When you don't have quite as many people, it's a little more quiet, a little more subdued. And it was just a little more relaxed than some of the other cruises we've been to. And the entertainment was good. I, I don't think it was quite up to the par of maybe what we had seen on like our apex cruise that we did previously, but it was definitely enough for two weeks. I didn't feel like we had evenings where we were sitting around thinking about well, what are we going to go do mm-hmm. uh, during the day? They had lectures scheduled and we went to a few of those somewhere on history. There were some on Hollywood entertainment. I believe it was a, somebody who worked in Hollywood was doing those. And there was a Canadian former military person who was doing some of the other historical sessions and went to two or three of those and, and, and they were interesting. And there was also obviously the movies that they do. And we had seen most of them, but the one we did go and see was A Man Called Otto. uh, And that was entertaining. Historically, these transatlantic cruises have an older demographic. School was still in session on this one. So how did the demographic skew on this sailing? Uh, It was definitely skewed older. I wouldn't say it was exclusively 60, 70. There was a spread. People our age were in our 50s. Uh, Folks, a lot of folks older than us, but some folks obviously younger than us as well. Very few kids, if any. I think there were only two or three. Kristen, do you remember how many there were on there? There were exactly three (laughs) of whom was the UK entertainer's son. That's right. (laughs) Wow, okay. That's right. That was her her kid. (laughs) With this ship only being at half capacity, normally I'd ask you how were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion, but uh, I'll skip that part and I will just say, uh, how nice were the sea days? Our sea days were really good. We had, so here's how they worked out. So when we left Miami, we had two sea days before we hit Bermuda. And then we had six sea days between Bermuda and Ireland. The two sea days before Bermuda were just what you would expect in terms of weather. Nice, warm, Caribbean-type light cruise. The first day after Bermuda was pretty much the same. Once we got to the second sea day after Bermuda, then as we started to pivot and head more north into the Atlantic, that's when the weather started to change. And we did have a couple sea days that were... A little bit rough, I think, and Scott can uh, can chime in here. I think at the worst day, I think we had, what, about 10 to 15 foot swells? Sounds right. Yeah, and it was enough that they had to basically close the outs- out, out the decks outside, and it even made trying to do a treadmill in the gym rather challenging, and we pretty much gave that up for a couple days until the seas calmed down, which they did. Temperatures obviously cooled down as well. For those like days two, three, and four of that six-day stint, pretty much everybody was indoor focused. But again, as we mentioned, with being 50% capacity, that really wasn't a problem. We tend to spend our sea days mainly doing reading and lounging, obviously pool type lounging, as I mentioned, during the warmer days of the cruise, and then finding those nice reading nook locations as the weather changed and we spent more time inside. The one thing also that we like to do on cruises, particularly with ones that have a nice amount of sea days, is we like to do the thermal suite. And so on the second day of the cruise, which was the first sea day, 
they had uh, offered a tour of the Persian Garden. You could come and uh, and tour it. And the tour took about, actually, it was a little bit longer than we expected. They actually allowed you to lay down on the thermal thermal loungers, heated tile loungers, for about 10, 15 minutes and, as part of the tour. And at the end of the tour, they offered us a chance to buy a voyage-length couples pass for the thermal suite for a total of $199. Considering that a voyage length pass was being sold pre-cruise for $339 per person, we were like, yes, please. We'll sign up for the voyage length couples pass for the thermal suite. So we, that, that was a steal. So we definitely uh, took advantage of that on our sea days and spent, and spent quality time in the thermal suite as well. Chris, so let me hop in here and ask you, how were the, how, like, how was the thermal suite on the Solstice class ship? That's one class I haven't actually been inside yet. So it's not as good as what you'll find, say, on with Princess's new ships or even the or on MSC's newest ships. The thermal suite here offered, like I said, the heated tile loungers. And there were about six, I think, six to eight of those. Nice thing is it has ocean views. So you could lay on the tile loungers and look out to the ocean. So that was very nice. It had a couple different kind of rain showers, although I don't really know, didn't notice that they were necessarily had uh, scents. Usually those kind of rain showers, they'll be like a tropical scent or mint or evergreen or whatnot. You'll see some, have some kind of aromatherapy aspect to it. I didn't really notice that with these showers. And then they had two, two sauna rooms, a dry sauna room and a wet sauna room. And then that was on one level. And then the other thing that a thermal suite gave you access to was what they called their relaxation lounge. And those had probably, there were probably 10 super padded lounge and facing out. So you had nice sea views. And then a few other different kinds of seating in there in a very quiet room. And it had fruit water and things like that. So that was the suite. So it, it didn't have a philosophy pool like you in some of the thermal suites didn't have as, an, as extensive a number of saunas that you see on some of the other thermal suites. But it was nice enough. Like I said, the heated tile loungers alone were pretty nice. So we thought for getting a, a voyage length pass for the two of us and only paying $199 total, that was well worth it. Yeah, that's a good tip. It's always good to take the spa tour because if they don't sell those spa packages pre-cruise, they'll offer them the first couple of days. And normally they are super, super reduced because if they don't make revenue goals, it falls on the spa manager. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Do you have any more to add on to the sea days or do you want to move to the ports? We can move on to the ports. Okay. So let's talk about the ports of call you hit on this 13-night transatlantic. Give us the port of call. Give us a highlight, and we'll just go to the next one. Okay. So we had four ports of call. Our first one was on day four in Bermuda. Since we were only there for one day, we decided that we were going to stick fairly close to the King's Wharf area where the ship docks and visit the Royal Naval Dockyard. Bermuda is a place we'd like to go, and, and we have plans to go there again, but we'll save the rest of the island for a visit when we have a little bit more time. So we spent three to four hours touring the National Museum of Bermuda that's right there, which was very interesting. There's 16 acres of grounds, various pieces of the fort worth doing. We're definitely museum people, and we're the kind of people that read all those little cards and all those little exhibits. So it takes us quite a bit longer to go through a museum than it does the average person. And some people might not spend three to four hours in there, but that was just about perfect for us. There was a pub right nearby in that complex called the Frog and Onion Pub, which we ate at and was very good. And did a little bit of shopping at one of the little arts and craft centers there and just had a very nice, very nice day. After Bermuda, a lot of sea days, 
And then uh, day 11 is when we finally got to set foot on land again, and that was at Cove in Ireland. We just did a self-tour that day. We were there from 8 to 4. So we walked around the town, which was very charming, very colorful, just a really nice place to go take your time and, and, and walk around. We visited. They have the Lusitania Peace Memorial. They have a uh, Titanic, some Titanic things there, the Titanic Experience and the Titanic Memorial Mod. Since that was Titanic's last port of call before heading out uh, towards America. And the, the museum, the Titanic experience, very well worth doing. I, I was a big Titanic fan when the movie came out, and I've always been fascinated with that story. So that was definitely going to be a must-do and definitely recommended for anyone who's interested in that history. We also visited the Cove Cathedral, which was quite pretty and sits way up the bluff, so you get a great view of the city and, and the water right there. We uh, did a little bit of shopping, had lunch, and we actually timed it such unknowingly, there was a choral festival in town. And so there were several international choral groups performing all around the city. And so we had walked down to the port or the park that's right there on the water, the John F. Kennedy Park, and enjoyed choral performance, which is a nice little touch. And it was great. We got to talk with the locals, a lot of cute little dogs running around. It was just a very nice day to be outside. And, and the weather was gorgeous. Apparently the weather had been cold and rainy up till then. This was really like their first really nice day. So we felt like we brought the good weather with us from, from the States. And on the way back, what was interesting is we, we went back, got on the ship and sat out on our balcony to watch the sail away. And the, this area where these crowds were starting to gather and we were the first out to watch the ship sail away. And so from the point where we docked all the way out to, as we passed the town, there were just tons of people on the shore, on the piers, watching and waving and all that. So it was, it was really neat the way they came out and supported the visitors. After uh, Cove, on um, the next day, we went to Portland, England. And that was a fairly short day, but we took a, a port shuttle from the boat over to Portland Castle, which really isn't a castle. It's a gun fort that Henry VIII had built. But a very interesting tour, a uh, very neat facility. And we went through that. After that, we had to take a shuttle back to the ship and then immediately jumped on another shuttle that would run from Portland over to Weymouth, which is the next big city that's just up a little ways. And so we headed up there to walk around, found a really great fish and chips place, had a great meal, and then got back uh, in line, which everybody was trying to get back to port at the same time. So the line for the shuttles was stretching around one block and up another block, and it was quite extensive, but we finally made it back. But it was a really neat day. And then the next day was going to be our final port of call, which was our call at France at Le Havre. And for that one, I knew I wanted to go see the Normandy sites uh, for D-Day. And so we had looked at the ship's excursion, which was a little pricey, and found instead a private excursion by a group called Overlord that had come highly recommended. And we booked a private tour for eight people. That let you customize, and so if you wanted to see this beach or you wanted to go to this other thing, you can pick and choose what you wanted to see rather than just getting the standard tour. So we reached out and found three other couples who went in on us, did this all pre-cruise on our roll call. And so when we arrived in the port, they met us with a van, and we headed out to, to the beaches. And so we toured Omaha Beach and actually got that was a stop there where we walked out on the beach and the guide was explaining things. After the beach, we went to the American Cemetery, 
had some time there to, to basically that was an on, on your own tour. After that, we drove by another section of the Omaha beach where there were some other stories of specific actions that had taken place there that were significant. And at that point we had a lunch break. I had a really nice meal at this nice little cafe. And then after lunch, we had a final stop of the Normandy sites at Punta Hook, which was a site where the Rangers had scaled this cliff to find these artillery guns, which turned out to not be there. They were, had been moved farther back. And so there's a, a real famous story that goes along with that. And so that was a really neat opportunity to go into some of these German pillboxes and, and see how, what their experience was like. Your last port of call was Le Havre in France. I hope I'm saying that correctly. How was your day there? We had a brief uh, time to visit the cathedral there, just a quick walkthrough. Uh, we'd like to go back there because the Bayou Tapestry is very famous, but there just wasn't enough time to, to squeeze that into the tour. And so then we eventually you know, went or the over the group we went with was excellent. The guide was very well informed, spent a lot of time explaining what was going on, a lot of maps, photos, and, and different visual guides that they brought with them. I was fairly familiar with, obviously, a lot of it that World War II has always been a, a major interest of mine. But it was a really neat experience to be there and stand there and, and think about what happened. Someday we'd like to go back because everywhere you drove in that area was a historical site. Every little village had signs up showing what had happened there and, and photos of what it looked like at the time. And there's got to be five, six, seven museums scattered around the region, various artifacts. So it's it's hard to, you can't really do D-Day in, in a six-hour visit, but I felt we did a pretty good job for the time we had and definitely would like to go back. And then and it's a couple hours to get to the sites and back. So it, it's definitely a full day. You leave early and you get back fairly near the end of your time. So it's a lot, but it was well worth doing it. And then our next stop after that was actually the end of the cruise in Southampton. La Harve is also the, they call it the port for Paris too. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that is. A lot of folks on the ship made the the trek into Paris on the train. Uh, we elected not to do that this time. In the future, I can definitely see us doing that in some future cruise. So you make your way to Southampton. How was your debark process over there in England? Debark was fine. They wanted you out of the cabin at 7.30, and so we obliged them by being out at 7. Grabbed some breakfast up in the buffet, and then our group was supposed to leave around 7.50 or so. Got through the luggage claim. There was no customs or anything required. And we had planned to do a shared car that we had booked to take us to London because we were going to stay in London for a few days. And so we were going to a hotel, not to the airport. We had looked at doing the train, but it just seemed like the logistics were going to be a bit much, especially with all of our luggage, since it was a two-week cruise with additional days of London. We had a, a fair amount of luggage for two people. So we had the car option, and it was fine. It, it got us where we're going, but it was about three and a half hours from the time we left the boat to where we got dropped off to our hotel. And part of the problem was, is that it was three couples in, in the van that we were going in and we were the third group to get dropped off. And the middle couple had some confusion because they were staying in B. And so we had to stop for 20 minutes while they wandered around and tried to figure out where they were supposed to go. So it was a lot longer in the car than we really had intended. And both of us agreed that next time, we're just going to deal with the luggage and take the train and, and opt for a little faster time to get to the hotel. Every, everything was fine. It, it was There weren't any problems. It just was a bit longer than we wanted. How was the internet, actually? Because Royal Caribbean, late last year, said they were going to start rolling out Starlink across all of their ships, Royal Caribbean Group, that is, which Celebrity is a part of. Did you notice if the Wi-Fi was fast on that ship? 
the Wi-Fi experience, what we had is we had booked the, we just had the basic Wi-Fi that came with the all included that they, the program they have. We did not elect to pay for the premium Wi-Fi and the connection was good all the way throughout. Never had an issue really with connecting or speed. But what we did notice is we were, I was having trouble getting to certain websites and did some digging into it. And it looks like that celebrity is filtering out certain sites at the basic level. And I don't think they're filtering them out. The sites I was trying to get to, the issue wasn't that they were blocking the sites I was getting to, but somehow they were blocking sites that those other sites depended on. There's some Mm -hmm. different things where there's shared components that a bunch of different websites will use and they'll point at one website that they all share. And when celebrity would block that site, it would break all of these other connections. And I've realized that when I was connecting with my work VPN as to try and bypass that, magically everything worked at that point and all those other sites were being allowed in. And so that was a little bit frustrating. The speed was great. We were able to connect. We were able to switch between devices, no issues. But the fact that a lot of sites were being broken by this filtering, I, I think inadvertently, uh, was a little bit frustrating. Thankfully, I had a work VPN utilized to get around that. But a lot of folks out there don't have that alternative to use. And what was key with that is Celebrity blocks a fair number of public VPN services that you can sign up for to use. There's not a common address for them to sign on. So I, I had a way to get around that and, and get through the issues. That was a little bit frustrating. If we, But if we had bought the premium service, that would have been an issue because we talked to people who had elected for the premium and, and they were able to get to those sites no problem. We did try the internet cafe at one point where you could sit down and log in, still using your plan, but using their computer. And those speeds were very fast. So I'm not sure if they're doing some other speed throttling with the basic plan via the Wi-Fi uh, because it was a definite difference in terms of speed. So it was usable, um, but I think it'd be on the premium plan to really enjoy that extra boost that you get from Starlink. I know you have a technology background with networking and everything. Let me ask you this, and because you what you just said made me think. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices when I'm traveling, but does it really protect um, against the cruise ship network? Like, can cruise ship networks get hacked? The main issue you're going to find with something like that with a shared Wi-Fi service, you definitely do get some more security from a VPN service. Mm-hmm. And what that's mainly doing is shielding you from everybody else on the network you're on. In, yeah. in most cases, it's, it's probably not likely that somebody's doing something. I would be much less concerned on a cruise ship than I would be, say, sitting in a Starbucks or a McDonald's. Uh, if I'm at if I'm at a place like Starbucks, I'm definitely going to use a VPN. I don't know what else is going on. I don't know what Starbucks is doing with their network. The crowd that's on the ship, I don't. I doubt there's too many people who are going on a cruise with the sole intent to try and hack people on the Wi-Fi. So I'm a little less concerned there, and I don't always use a VPN. Obviously, on this one, we did to get around that filtering issue. Sure, but it, it can make a difference. Now we, ha- I have a, a service that uh, uh, we don't use that one, but we have another uh, VPN service that we subscribe to because I don't like using the work one for non-work things normally. And that one was explicitly being blocked by uh, celebrity, and I assume they're doing that because they want to make sure they're trying to make sure that you're not using streaming video and chat service or uh, video services if you're not paying for the premium Wi-Fi. I I believe that's why they 
probably block a lot of those third-party VPNs. And I'm not sure which, if they're blocking them all or if they're only blocking some, but I know they were blocking the one that we normally would use. And that's why I had to revert back to the work one. Gotcha. Looking back on this cruise, do you have any first-time tips to offer anyone either a sailing celebrity silhouette or doing a transatlantic voyage? I talked about the fact that you're, you have the possibility of having some slightly unpleasant sea conditions on a transatlantic cruise, perhaps more so than a standard Caribbean cruise. And so we were very glad that we had a cabin that was located on a lower deck and nearly midship. And so if that's something, if you're very sensitive to ship motion, you should definitely pay careful attention to where your cabin is located. And, and I think that's probably even more important for a transatlantic type cruise than perhaps other type cruises. As I mentioned before, take the Persian Garden Tour if you're interested in the thermal suite. <laughs> if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have gotten the, the offer deal that we did get. I think Scott mentioned that this ship was went through what Celebrity called their revolutionized program in 2020, and that meant the cabins did get renovations. But that did not extend to adding additional power outlets or USB ports. So you definitely would want to plan to bring a non-surge protector multi-outlet plug that had USB ports because there's not very many in the room at all. And a couple uh, tips for the Ocean View Cafe. We discovered that during the mid-afternoon when they have their snack time in the Ocean View Cafe, there are items that they feature there that we never saw at any other time during the day. For instance, empanadas, scones, finger sandwiches. So if you like those kinds of things, make sure you check out the snack time in the Ocean View Cafe. And then at dinner, in, at the ver- well, in the various stations that they offer in the buffet, they always had one they called, it was like their special custom order station. And every night it featured a unique item. So one night it was uh, custom-made risotto. Another night it was creme brulee. Another night was ceviche. So make sure if you're eating dinner in the Ocean View Cafe, uh, don't forget to take a look at what's being offered at the uh, special custom order station. What was the biggest highlight of this cruise for y'all? I'll go first. It was the fact we got three new countries for us, Bermuda, Ireland, and France, and that this cruise started as a warm weather Caribbean type cruise and then became a cooler weather European cruise. And so that was a very interesting contrast all in one voyage. For me, it was definitely visiting the uh, D-Day sites in Normandy, actually being on Utah Beach and Omaha Beach and remembering what happened there. And you think back to Saving Private Ryan, you know, those movies, and, and you see that and just think about what was happening in there. That was really sobering, and that was definitely worth the cruise just for that. And to put a bow on this interview, give me your final thoughts of Celebrity Silhouette. So this was our return to the Solstice class, and Silhouette was a very nice ship to do a transatlantic cruise on. It's big enough that it offers a variety of dining and entertainment options, but it's small enough that you enjoy real ease of movement around the ship and find some wonderful cozy spaces for reading. And we've been sailing a lot of the new build ships, which tend to be quite large, and we enjoy those a lot. But this was a really nice reminder that we also enjoy sailing on those medium-sized ships too. Yeah, I echo everything Kristen says, and and to call back to something I mentioned earlier, Celebrity does such a great job of keeping their ships up to date and keeping them refreshed, and we never hesitate like we do do on some other lines where we'll look at a cruise and say, I like that itinerary, but I'm not really keen about being on that 20-year-old ship. With Celebrity, never even look at when the ship was built because we know it's going to be as close to being like a brand new ship as anyone can be. And Silhouette proved that. It was just what we expected. Just fantastic ship. 
All right, Scott and Kristen on their 13-night celebrity silhouette cruise. I really appreciate y'all coming on and taking the time for me. Can't wait to see y'all soon. Yes, hopefully very soon. Yep, definitely. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.